because <laughs> we're just not interested in talking for an hour about sex. But look, it's the it the is, plays about sex. The plays about sex. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Yes, welcome back, everyone. Here we are coming up to the end of our themed month. It's been a journey, and what a time we've had. Whew, boy, it has been a journey. Four ancient Greek plays, one right after the other. It's interesting. It may be that consuming several pieces of ancient Greek dramatic literature next to each other is the way to consume ancient Greek literature if you're not going to see it. Because you really get a sense of like how different these plays are and the different conventions that the playwrights play with. When you just read or see one piece of ancient Greek literature, all you're seeing it is for what it is, not in the context of other ancient Greek theaters. So for that reason, this has been kind of a fascinating moment month to do these in such close proximity. It's true. There's a lot of kind of in-jokes and references that, you know, would have been gotten by the culture that it was written for, but uh, that we have kind of slowly gotten to learn as a result of bouncing across, you know, a couple different centuries, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but also a couple different plays and the uh, and the sort of themes that are in them. And today we are doing the fourth of our set of four. We, we've been teasing for weeks and weeks all the different kind of arrangement of scripts. Two tragedies, two comedies, one weird one, three normal ones. We've said that for a while and then throughout the theme month. So uh, if you've been counting, you know that we've in our theme month we did a comedy and then two tragedies right in a row and we are so then ending on another Greek comedy. And today it is the most famous of all the ancient Greek comedies, uh, probably within the top three to five most famous ancient Greek plays uh, out there just because it's the representation of the ancient Greek comic style. Today we are talking about Lysistrata by Aristophanes. Yeah, so we're returning back to, back to Aristophanes, who kind of kicked off our series with the birds, and uh, now here we are back again with Lith Lysistrata. And yeah, yeah, it continues to be a, a play that continues to be read, performed for all the good reasons, also because it's just a provocative... Um, provocative. You know, <laughs> There's so many theme. meanings to that word. It's perfect <laughs> to describe this play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's lots of good reasons that this play continues to be reduced, and we're going to produce, and we will be getting into a bunch of them today. Yeah, and and if you're like a theater college student or you're a graduate student, then you probably have read this play for school, and if you haven't yet, you probably will. If you're just a theater audience member in the world, if you've seen it, it, it was probably in the context of educational theater. Most of your kind of regular old regional professional houses uh, try to kind of sidle around this one be just because of how uh, provocative is the word I guess we're going to go with <laughs> the play is. Um, and if you're a theater high school student, uh, you, I uh, guess, have Look forward to studying <laughs> this play. In stumbled college. across this play. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So this is maybe a moment to say, Lysistrata is a highly, highly, highly sexual play, 
it, that's just the comedy is about sex, as you'll hear. As you, if you don't already know, that when we get to the synopsis, you'll learn the plot. It's all based around sex. So this might be an episode to put in earbuds, to not right. listen to at work or around your little ones if you have little ones. And if uh, discussions about sex and body parts and uh, <laughs> all that stuff make you uncomfortable, uh, don't ever read or see Lys Estrada and probably don't listen to this conversation. We got three other conversations on ancient Greek plays and then like more than 120 other plays that you could listen to too. This one may not be for you if conversations about sex are going to make you really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so with that kind of little bit of a warning out of the way, we're we're about to jump into the conversation. But I do want to take a second and just say thank you to all of our patrons over on Patreon.com/slash NoScript Podcast for helping out the show. Uh, y- y'all make this thing work. <laughs> thank you so much for for your uh, help in in making this show possible. Those who have listened to the show know that we love getting to do this show. We love getting to talk about these plays. We love getting to do themed months and talk about Greek theater because who. Can gets to talk about Greek theater anymore besides, you know, us and all of you out there who are listening. So we love getting to have these sorts of conversations. Um, there, are, there are some costs associated with the show in hosting a podcast, in, uh, you know, finding the scripts, getting together, all that stuff, the, the time involved in it. So uh, the patrons over on patreon.com slash no script podcast help us out enormously. If you're looking for a way to help out the show, whether you're, um, you know, a longtime listener of the show or just getting into it, in our loving Greek uh, month for some reason, in, in our in our master's month, uh, patreon.com slash podcast is a great way to get involved more. Over there, you'll find patron-only posts, number of different tiers for as low as $1 a month, and all the different tiers help out the show enormously. So if you're looking for a way to help out, head over to patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you to all of our patrons. We will see you over there. And now, back to the script. And we're off. All righty. So... Lisa Strata, like we said in our uh, little pre-show introduction, there it's it's definitely the most famous ancient Greek comedy. Full stop. Period. Um, being that, it's also the most famous of Aristophanes' plays. It's sort of often referred to as his greatest work. What exactly that means, that's pretty, you're playing playing pretty fast and loose with the truth to try to define that in any way. It's definitely the most anthologized. I mean, if you have an anthology of plays about theater history, like the good old Bedford Compact introduction to drama or whatever else you have, Lysistrata's pretty for surely in there um, as a representation of ancient Greek comedy. And then there's probably a tragedy, either Oedipus Rex or Antigone, most likely. Um, If you have an anthology just of ancient Greek literature, this is is almost surely going to be in there. Um, it's also one of the most produced of the ancient Greek lexicon. Um, now, ma- many, most of the good tragedies are produced more than this play just because of the highly sexual content, but it is the most produced of the ancient Greek comedies. We did one Aristophanes play, of course, at the beginning of our themed month. That was The Birds. And this play was written just a handful of years after The Birds was written, uh, something like 411 BC. It is written in the context of Athens being in the middle of more than 20 years of ongoing war. This is the Peloponnesian War conflict. It's a conflict within Greece between the Athenians and the Spartans and then a, a host of other smaller nations that 
sort of group on to those larger groups that are at war. And um, just before this play comes to festival, the Athenians had suffered a pretty serious uh defeat in the conflict, an embarrassing defeat. And so you have ongoing war for more than 20 years and then kind of an embarrassing defeat in the midst of this war and out comes Aristophanes' play about how to end the war. And Jackson will tell you exactly what they decided about how to, or what Aristophanes decided about how to end the war. But that that's the world that these... Uh, the audience members that see the original production are living in an ongoing conflict, a world of tragic war horror that seems to go on and on and on. Because of the play that it is, Lysistrata has been reimagined many, many times. Um, it's up there in terms of the number of adapted versions of the ancient Greek stories. Um, it's often adapted into to be a more outright feminist work than it probably is in its original text. Um, it's often adapted to incredible contexts because the story at its most core can really be layered on to lots of different conflicts. So often adapted. Um, there's a, a couple of different really cool musical adaptions if you've never checked out that you should see. I mean, I, I don't know that, that any of them are like blow your mind awesome, but they're kind of fun. Um, and so it it's not done a ton compared to the canons of all dramatic literature, especially as uh, our culture deals with the sexual content in lots of different ways as we evolve. But it is done the most of the ancient Greek comedies. And it's a really nice representation of a transitional period, especially the one that Aristophanes is going through with the way he plays with the old comic forms and what he's doing to sort of reimagine comedy for the future of the ancient Greek theater world. Yeah, the constant reimagining of this play continues to happen as, as many times as there are wars to fight. And we know that those have been prevalent ever since <laughs> and will continue to be prevalent ever since. So, so yeah, absolutely. The, the play continues to have reverberations into the present. Um, I'm going to do a quick uh, synopsis of the play. Um, it is set within the Peloponnesian War in Athens. Athens is fighting Sparta. Sparta is fighting Athens. There's a bunch of other cities that Athens is in a conflict with. Pretty much all of Greece is at war with itself. Um, and and uh, into this world steps Lysistrata. Now, Lysistrata or Lysistrata, we didn't do a name touch base before the top of the show, so you're going to hear a wide variety of pronunciations of names <laughs> today, which longtime <laughs> listeners of the show have come to expect. Um, Lysistrata, whose name means in Greek, the ender of wars, um, is the, the title character of the play, and she is holding a meeting in the town's uh, streets of the town. Um, she comes on stage, she's looking for people, the people that she's called to the meeting, and finally women start to show up, though some of them are kind of late. Um, one by one they begin to show up. We meet Kal <laughs> Kalanike, is how I'm going to say her name. Uh, she comes on stage. We meet Mirene, who comes on stage, and we meet Lampito, who comes on stage. And these are, m many more women come on stage. Pretty soon the stage is full of women from all over the place. We hear that there are people from all the different cities around. We've got uh, a Boetian woman, a Corinthian woman, uh, lots of women from all over the place are coming. And they're, they're here to have a meeting with Lysistrata because she has decided that she has had enough of the war. Everyone is pretty fed up with the war and what it's pushed them to. Um, and also, pretty notably, um, the kind of dry spell that they're in as a result of the war. Um, LAUGHTER 
Uh, and an, an important an important feature of this play is the given circumstance that all people are very sexually active. <laughs> so and and miss it when it's not there. So that's an important given circumstance of this place. So the women are lamenting the fact that the men are away, even as they are uh, lamenting the war. <laughs> That 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 is happening. All the things about the war, the 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 the, uh, the restrictions that it's putting on them. And Lysistrata says, "I know the way we can end this war. We will deny men sex. All all the soldiers, all the the governing men of the town. We will deny them sex until they." Um, decide to offer peace. Now, notably, this council of people, I mentioned Lampito. Lampito is there uh, as a Spartan. She's a Spartan woman, um, and she has come to this meeting, and she's going to go off to Sparta and do her thing, the the the, the, the same thing there uh, with, with her people, and all these different people from the differing towns are all going to return to their towns and try to end the war in this way. Not only that, but in Athens, Lysistrata has set up this brilliant plan um, with the chorus. Uh, Probably, though, just, no, definitely, just half of the chorus. Because the chorus is really interesting in this play in that the chorus is split into two, a chorus of old women and a chorus of old men. This first group of the chorus is the chorus of old women who she has uh, gotten to kind of go up and start a heist to take over the Acropolis. The Acropolis being the, the, the uh, center of worship in the city and also essentially the bank where they store all the money that is paid to the soldiers, that is paid to the old men of the town who are now on uh, their stipends and, and uh, as a result of their military service. So she's... Uh, uh, struck an agreement with them that if if she can get all these women to agree to deny sex to all the men of Athens, that they will take over the Acropolis and a, a, a coup will happen and they will defend the Acropolis un, until they can uh, force the men of the town into suing for peace with the Spartans. This happens. The women all agree, though some uh, uh, a bit uh, <laughs> lamentingly. There's um, a great there's <laughs> a great comic device where these Lysistratus says, you know, we should try to end the war, and she's got all these women around her and one woman they go we should definitely try to end the war i would die to end the war i would do this to end the war i think one of them says i would be split in half to end the war <laughs> and lysistrata says great all you got to do is not sleep with your husbands and one by one they go well no i'm not gonna do well, that yeah, hang on. what we are you crazy we're walk, walking through cold no that, <laughs> i'll do anything but that come on we can't not have sex with our husband that's insane Right, right. <laughs> but one by one, she gets them all to agree to it, and they take over the Acropolis. Then in comes the chorus of old men who are storming the Acropolis, trying to take it over. They're rebuffed by the women and the chorus of old women. Um, the, the argument scene, we've talked about the argument scene pretty frequently uh, in our various places. A common trope of Greek theater happens between, uh, in my version of the play, it is the... Um, Commissioner of Public Safety, though it is often uh, translated as the magistrate. Um, and I think one of the ones I read today said uh, constable. Sure, yeah, the, yeah, the constable. He he rolls up to the temple and is like, "What's going on? These women have taken over the temple. I'll don't worry, we'll get them out of there." Um, and he's he, he essentially functions as like the early version of the Commedia dell'arte, dirty old man. Um, he. <laughs> He has uh, a, a debate with Lysistrata and is just like dressed down by her in, in more than one <laughs> meaning of that word. She just completely defeats him with her logic. He's turned around. The old men of the town are turned around and they all leave. Um, some time passes uh, and and eventually it's, it's kind of getting to everyone involved. <laughs> 
the, this this uh, this uh, sex strike is getting to all everyone. Alyssa Strada is having to like catch women who are trying to sneak out to have sex. Some women are trying to fake pregnancy to like leave. Some are like trying to leave to take care of uh, like yarn making or something I like that. To feed my cat. I right. <laughs> right. Um, and then we meet another character in Kinesius, who we find out is Marine's husband, and we f- learn the plight of the men, who, um, in, in another very sexualized sort of Greek theater way, are all walking around with these, um, how do, how do we want to put this? They're phalluses, Jackson. <laughs> They're phalluses. <laughs> yeah, this, this play, again, very Probably sexual play. Probably these big leather costume pieces that would have been worn like a belt and then would have been an enlarged leather phallus hanging down to represent an erect penis. We warned you on the front end, okay? We warned you. We, we gave you plenty of warning. <laughs> <laughs> So in uh, he, he appears at the temple. He tries to convince Marine to uh, come back home uh, to stop this whole thing. And there's this um, back and forth between her where she kind of agrees, but then delays and kind of agrees and then delays. And ultimately, she just tricks him into uh, being very disappointed. Um, and, and she uh, leaves because he will not commit to voting for peace. Um the rest of the play kind of swiftly uh, rounds itself up. Many of the men are in similar plights to Kinesius, um, <laughs> and uh, delegations from Sparta and all the neighboring towns begin to roll in saying, we got to sue for peace right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, a, a pretty speedy end of the play happens where, well, uh, kind of speedy. There's a, another little debate scene with some kind of questionable whole usage of more sexual tactics to kind of like use reconciliation as a woman. Yeah. It's, the, and different translations translated differently. Uh, reconciliation or like peace or um, restoration, all different translations of this sort of representative. It's not quite a goddess, but like an idea, like sovereignty. And yeah. so Lysistrata brings out a statue to, we can go with reconciliation. And the statue to reconciliation that she brings out to help these men sue for peace as they're in the midst of their uh, denied sexual fervor is a, an incredibly detailed, gorgeous, naked woman. And the discussion about reconciliation and peace it ends up just being a discussion about the body parts of this naked woman. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, which ultimately results in a uh, uh, a treaty of peace, uh, a celebration in the temple. All is restored, and uh, the play ends with another chorus ode, as as the plays do. As they march off stage in pairs, too. <laughs> in pairs and groups. At least they leave I mean... that part to your imagination, you know? <laughs> There's very little else left to the imagination in this play, including nudity. I mean, it, right. the text calls for a pretty significant amount of nudity. Now, whether you decide that you're going to have naked actors or if you're going to have these sort of elaborate... Uh, almost puppet-like costume pieces, I guess directors and production companies to your own imaginations are going to do whatever you want to do. But there, there is nudity for the characters called for throughout right. the script. Um, and of course, we know that oftentimes there, it was men playing the women in these ancient Greeks plays. So it's men playing naked women and men playing naked versions of themselves. And some of them are very different ages. It's, it's, a, it's a wildly sexual yeah. show with very little left of the imagination. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all pretty much just there. And that's kind 
of indicative of the the Greek style of comedy, right? Like very in your face. Um, I think in in more Roman comedy, I think it's kind of the comedy of the street um, that that begins to come out. But you see the roots here, right? Just kind of uh, lewd. Uh, com- body comedy um, of of what people you know see in the streets of a city together. Now, in saying all that, every time I come back to Lysistrata, I seem to have forgotten that the middle of the play, let's call it the middle forty percent of the play, has nothing to do with the sex strike. The sex strike is like the happy idea of the beginning, and then when uh, the husband comes and they have the elaborate uh, refusal scene over and over again, the sex strike story starts back up again. But like the middle 40% of the play is this battle of the sexes over the <laughs> Acropolis. These This chorus of old women has taken over the Acropolis, and this chorus of old men is trying to get into the Acropolis, and then the debate between Lysistrata and the magistrate commissioner of of public safety character but the sex strike is sort of to the side until it takes over the play again at the end and what you end up with is sort of a, a a very funny gendered battle between these two choruses and the the insults that they fling at each other are hilarious the personalities that get brought forth in different members of the chorus different sort of side characters that step up and have debates with individual members of the other gender the choral odes that battle back and forth at one point the different choruses the chorus of men and women tell like different versions of a myth that they battle back and forth to make their different points. I mean, it's a very funny, just kind of pure battle of the wills, the sex part of it aside. Yeah, yeah. The, the chorus especially is such a unique character in this because of of it being this chorus of old men pitted against a chorus of old women. The 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 sort of back and forth that you're describing, these these kind of verbal jibes at each other, it's hard to not imagine that these are 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 couples, right? That these are <laughs> that these are husbands and wives yelling insults back and forth at each other, um, and 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 defending the Acropolis. Now this this defense is not not really violent though violence is often threatened um but but not not really uh physically violent though there is some resistance yeah it's not violence so much but there is like physical confrontations in one of the more um I think really sharp and and nicely put together visual images of the play, the chorus of men enter the stage lugging all of this lumber, just dragging it and griping about this wood that they're carrying. And of course we learn that the wood is that they're starting a fire to try to smoke the women out of the Acropolis. And then the chorus of old women come on with these jars of water to douse the fire. And so there's a physical confrontation, dousing of the fire to prevent them from being burned out, that the women ultimately succeed over the men, but then there is what Aristophanes is so, so brilliant at, which is this metaphorical sort of world plot representation, right? Because fire then and now is this uh, sort of metaphor for passion and sex, right? Fire is a metaphor for sex. It has been apparently since the time of the ancient Greeks. Right. That's what the men are after. And what do the women do? They come out and douse the fire. So it's a story about the larger play. It's a story that tells a little mini story of the physical confrontations between the two groups. It's metaphorical. It's just a, it's a lovely, understated moment that 
really works, you know, is, is a, it is a, it's a physical moment. It's something that happens on the page, but you can really visualize and live into that world. Right, right. Yeah. So like fire, I I love, I love what you're saying about the analogies of fire and water because the fire is the gift of Prometheus, right? To, in, in the culture at the moment, to man, right? This, this, this power of destruction, this power of warmth, this power of heat, this power of, of eventually industry as, as we know, as it's continued. So it's like very typical in the Greek culture, masculine image of fire is being brought and it's counteracted by a very feminine uh, image of water right water is life water is is where we come from it's 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 what we depend on we are made up of water and women show up with water and and defeat the 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 fire of the men in this moment so yeah it's it's i I love that kind of metaphorical imagery with layers on layers that 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 begin to come out as you as you really focus on it yeah of course the other aristophanes play we talked about was the birds which is also highly visual highly metaphorical and it's he's just so good at that and he's so good at insults i mean yeah. he's so the birds is chocked full of insults and this one is too i mean this is just one line the chorus of men yell to each other gentlemen it's a disgrace to athens a disgrace to all that athens stands for if we allow these grandmas to jabber about shields and spears and make (laughs) friends with the spartans and then the chorus of women responds who do you think we are you senile bravos I mean, there's just so, and of course, those are just translations, but you get the sense of the back and forth insults that occupy, again, that whole middle section of the play is almost a battle of insults. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that content continues into that other section of the play that you're talking about with the the magistrate as well. Because at, at the start of it, it it, tr- it tries to be a debate, but it's it's quickly kind of brought out that he doesn't he can't hold his own, and it devolves into a just a back and forth of insults with them as well. And of course, that uh, the debate scene between Lysistrata and the magistrate, or however you translate that character name, is one of the ways that Aristophanes is departing from so many of those old comic forms. The debate is a central part of all, really, of these ancient Greek theaters. I mean, Medea that we talked about last week is just a play full of debates, really. And in this play, the debate is not a debate, right? The magistrate character doesn't really have many arguments to make at all. He asks a couple of questions, makes a couple of jibes. But other than that, Lysistrata is the only one making the kind of rhetorically sound, full body bodied arguments that the ancient Greek audience would have expected from their plays, whether tragedy or comedy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's, she's kind of left as the only, you know, <laughs> non-senile ruler of this, of Athens <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> like, like that's kind of the role she's filling. She, she, she realizes that there's a way out of this. It's, it's as, as we've uh, uh, delighted in using a provocative way out of this, but she's going to push for it. And she's really the only, like she, she, by the force of her will, there's, there's, there's a moment where she just like yells at the commissioner to be silent, <laughs> like just tells him to shut up. And it more or less works. He kind of mutters to himself and then they, they, they turn him around and, and kind of kick him out of the Acropolis. But that this is like, this is the will of Lysistrata. This is the kind of strength of her character off. The, I, I feel like Lysistrata is one of the, the the better arguments for this being a feminist play. There's a lot of themes in this play that are hard to make it a feminist play, but the, <laughs> but the character of Lysistrata really holds down a lot of that argument in my mind. 
Yeah, at least the character represents uh, a view of women that is not so much inferior in any kind of um, mental capacity, right? I mean, Aristophanes is not making a sexist point that women are dumber than men, right? Which which is so much undergirds sexist attitudes. Lysistrata is every bit as brilliant and full of will as all of the men that she slowly destroys one after the other right, right, in the right. course of the play. What's also interesting about Lysistrata is what we don't know about her. We know because the women of that make up the rest of her party, whatever that is, tell us that they've got husbands or lovers or whatever at home and that they're desperate to see their husbands or lovers or whatever. And we don't really know that about Lysistrata. Is she married? Does she have kids? Does she have a husband who she's dying to see? Does she have any of those kinds of ties that the women around her definitely do? And and the play doesn't provide us a lot there. Yeah, we get barely any given circumstances for her. We know she has a family in Athens. We know that she learned some of her politicking from her father and her elders. Um, but but yeah, we don't we don't know much about her family in Athens itself, which has kind of led some people to suggest that she is a representation of Athens itself or of the goddess. Who it's one of the A goddesses. I'm gonna say Athena because that's, <laughs> that's with Athens. Um, but uh, but yeah, that she's a representation of this kind of wisdom that Athens could be, um, and and also the the the, the uh, diplomatic um, acuity of of Athens' ability to to turn the war around, even with this sort of ridiculous not ridiculous, but uh, oh, use it again, provocative way of doing so. Yeah, and, and there's some. Some of it is ridiculous, right? I mean, the idea that Lysistrata, uh, by all accounts, kind of an average citizen, we don't have any reason to believe she's a ruler or anything like that, Uh, an average citizen is able to call together women from warring nations from all over Greece to meet secretly and execute this kind of large-scale plan, It's it's a silly imagining, and it's supposed to be. Right, I mean that—that's part of it. You accept the happy idea, as the lexicon likes to say, of the play, and see how it would play out if. But that's—that's that's the old comic form, right? I mean, right. The other Aristophanes play we talked about was about discovering a city and making a city of the birds, and right. we reflected <laughs> that we have no idea where the city is. Somehow they built a wall in the sky, yeah, around yeah, yeah. the sky. I mean, right? The, the impossibility of the imagination is not so much an issue. The question is, can I live into the imagination I have created to the fullest extent? And Aristophanes definitely does that. What are all the ramifications if something like this did happen, as impossible as it is? Right, right. As we as we sort of mentioned back the last time we talked about comedy, and it's certainly true of this play, the comedies of this old comedy era uh, took a real-life situation and then threw in, like, a really weird element and then followed the consequences of that element out. And it allowed the audiences to deal or or consider their current situation, the reality of their current situation and the various problems that could result from it 
if this one really weird thing got thrown into the mix. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> and and so, especially yeah. this really weird concept, right? I mean, that's the idea that drives these plots is that somebody wants to try something strange to solve a problem, to overcome a challenge. In The Birds, the idea is... Uh, you know, a place like Athens has become so bureaucratically annoying, so overpowering that we want to go be free and, and live with this. And this, the birds are really the oldest gods. And so they don't have to have all these kind of rules and bureaucracy and they can ultimately rule if they choose to do so. So they go to try it. And this one, it's the problem of the war between these city states in Greece. And the idea is how can these group of women ultimately bring about long-term peace. I mean, Lysistrata says they're going to abolish war. Now, that's interesting because it, it's not really so much an anti-war play. It's like an anti-Grecian war play. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It, <laughs> uh, I mean, it certainly has the themes that that uh, we we've seen it reproduced as to be an anti-war play it's 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 but it, but you're right in that like if this were the persians it would be a different play um just because of the nature of greece's relationship to persia and persia's relationship to greece and their ongoing kind of invasive wars of each other but the catch in this play is these are fellow greeks killing each other um, and yeah, and Miss Estrada says as much, right? She's like trying yeah. to make these reconciliations, and she reminds all of these men that, like, don't you remember Persia? We got like a real enemy out there. Why are we fighting each other, killing each other's sons? And so it's, it's not. I mean, the the idea that war with non-Grecian peoples is going to be forever banned is not really what the play is about. At the same time, you get Lysistrata claiming that they're going to make war, they're going to be uh, totally no war when the women are in charge of war. And you get incredible anti-war sentiments like this. The leader of the women's chorus says, um, don't I pay taxes to the state? Yes, I pay them in baby boys. I yeah. Mean, that's... a painful, harsh reflection on what war costs. It almost sounds like something out of Mother Courage. Yeah, absolutely. The 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 cost of war is is registered in these people. Now that now you've just mentioned probably the most poignant one, and I think the one that I I, I watched a couple scenes from different anachronistic productions of this 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 play that have been done, and that's one that has grabbed on in in multiple ones is this theme of the 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 cost of human life that this war has had uh, on 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 the people, and certainly this would be a moment where in the middle of a comedy you all of a sudden get a punch in the gut, right? That's what comedy can do. You can be laughing one moment, and then all of a sudden the message of the play sinks home. And it would have to the people of, of Athens as they were receiving it. Um, there's, there's also substantial, like, kind of frivolous loss, though, too, <laughs> that this play is is just asking you to laugh about, right? Like, they're, they're the kind of list that Lysistrata gives the folks of, of what they're missing out on as a result of the war includes their husbands, includes feasts, includes time spent uh, in celebration and festivals. So there's 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 a there's a balance a good balance in this play between these like really deep themes. Uh, 
of of tragic loss um while while still like kind of keeping it light for the third pl- or the fourth play in in the set of of tragedies and comedy <laughs> and so let's talk a little bit about this incredible chorus. It feels like we've done four plays now where four times we've said, now this chorus is really interesting. And that's what's so great about the ancient Greek plays is they have these conventions, these things that define them. And you watch the the few, very few playwrights that we actually have plays from navigate around, take creative liberties with, fully imagine a different version of all these conventions, right? I mean, you have a chorus. That is a given in this ancient Greek literature. But of our four plays so far, one of them has been a chorus of exotic birds who are of all kinds and costumes and incredible imaginations. Uh, Let's see. Then we did Antigone, the chorus of old men, ancient rulers who've seen generations of kings come and go in Thebes. Then we did Medea, and it's a chorus of Corinthian women who are with Medea in the, her plight against how she's been so mistreated and cast aside, but are not with Medea in the actions that she takes to get revenge for her plight. And now we come to a divided chorus, a chorus of men and a chorus of women in conflict with each other. It's interesting. Some scholars have noted that for this kind of chorus, it really only works in a comedy because in the comedies, the chorus is bigger. It just includes more people based on the rules and forms. And so if you're going to divide a chorus in half, you still want them to seem like large groups when you divide it in half. So really only in a comedy where the chorus chorus is enormous would you get two divided but still large-seeming groups. And I think functionally, the difference between comedy and tragedies choruses plays into that as well. A divided chorus in a tragedy is is would be such a hard thing because the tragic hero is so often kind of by themselves and alone against the the forces that are arrayed against them. Really, it's just the chorus that sometimes takes their side and supports them. So so to have that that chorus be divided again, like for instance, imagine Medea with a divided chorus, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that that would be a tough thing to pull off. But in this comedy, right, the the chorus can be divided and they can represent uh, uh, the the kind of conflict that is happening in the city. You can have the the chorus of old women who are unflinchingly in support of Lysistrata and the chorus of old men who are trying to hold on to the city that they are they're, they're, they're kind of supposed to defend while all the the soldiers are away so so yeah that I, I that, that that sort of uh split nature characterization of the the chorus is is something unique to the to the comedy and it allows for so many big confrontations. I mean, in some ways, that's why Lysa Strada is such like a director's playground, is just that there are so many big confrontations in terms of stakes and also in terms of size. You get these two choruses in opposition, and you get both confrontations of huge scale, right? Women taking over the Acropolis while men try to burn them out. And you get those contrasted with confrontations of private 
it small scale, right? Now, nothing's private in ancient Greek plays, but the scene where the woman tells her husband that she's going to sleep with him and then continually goes back in to find all these different things and continually delays the sex, right? You get enormous confrontations with the chorus, and then you get small confrontations between individuals like that, and it creates such a nice balance and move. Big confrontation with the chorus, individual confrontation between Lysistrata and the magistrate. Big confrontation, individual confrontation. Big confrontation, individual confrontation. It's such a beautiful flowing structure. Yeah, yeah. The the this is the the, the one of the few plays that I've I've read in the Greek uh, lexicon that has a longer list of mute characters than it does normal <laughs> characters. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a long list of characters that are called for in the script that that don't have any lines. So it's it is interesting. It is interesting too to have this kind of scope given to us in general like this this comedy for one of the big ones that uh expands the scope of this comedy is we don't have a unity of time in it um it's not all taken place in the same day which is a hallmark of a lot of greek theater especially greek tragedy is it takes place within one day or one series of time um and and this play there's there's a multiple day jump Right in the middle of the play, where some time has passed, I think is the stage direction that I that I have in mind. So that's an interesting element of this play as well, as it as it continues to expand our scope of what the chorus can do, of how many people you can have on stage, <laughs> of the entire the entire story that's happening, but also um, the time that we're looking at, the brackets of time that we're in. Well, we would be probably failed hosts if we didn't spend at least a little time when we're talking about Lysistrata, talking about the sexual humor. We've tried to fill out a lot of this podcast with non-sexual content because <laughs> we're just not interested in talking for an hour about sex. But look, it's the... It the is, play's about sex. The play's about <laughs> sex. And it's, it's like the defining... If you remember anything about Lysistrata, you remember that it's about a sex strike. And you remember the enormous phalluses that define the visual... The, the physical visual representation from later in the play and there are moments in the play where the sex jokes are enormous and gaudy and there are moments where they are clever and more small and more punny. Uh, private punny kinds of sex jokes and then there are just every kind of little bit between but i think before we started recording we were laughing like when the women swear not to have sex with their husbands in their little ceremony, it's not just like, we will not sleep with our husbands. It's like, I will not do it in this position. I will not do it in this position. I will not do it in this position. On oh, and there's a list of sexual acts that they will not do, and they're they're very descriptive and, and very right. funny. And it's it's all part of the world that you just sort of agree to live in when you agree to see Lysistrata. Right, it's very specific in its in its in its uh, sexuality and sexualization of these characters. Like I said in the beginning, you, it's it's written from the given circumstance that all these characters really want sex, right? And that so so that if if you're if you're going to do it as written, you kind of have to assume that in there. I think there is uh, there. I know there are uh, versions of this play though that don't necessarily take that given circumstance, right? That there are some characters who are, but there is a kind of of a, a sexual rights ethic at work in this play. And that's where we see a bit more of the, the, the feminist type of, of play begin to emerge where, where this, this strike is, 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 
is less about uh, just ending the war of peace, but claiming some uh, sexual autonomy and the uh, the ability of these women to control uh, their lives and and how they 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 partner with people and and trying to make this point about the role to which women have been relegated in this society. There's In Lysistrata's debate with the magistrate, there's a lovely little sequence of lines where she describes so, where how women would, in, in Aristophanes' imagination of the world, I guess, ask their husbands about political questions and war questions because they're interested and knowledgeable and, and you know, have something to contribute, and the men would basically threaten to hit them if they don't get back to their sewing or whatever. And you can imagine a group of women, a group of anybody who's oppressed to those kinds of relegated roles that would use the power available to them to make a statement, to claim some other power, some other role back. And if you wanted to read an incredibly feminist lens onto this play, this is about women using the power given to claim more power for themselves in a positive way. I mean, they don't have an equal balance of power, and so they need to claim more to balance the scales. And it certainly does have that in it. Now, there's a lot of other stuff in it, too. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, I mean, it, 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 it's hard to get away from the fact that this is, this is a body sexual comedy written, written by a man with a bunch of male actors in it. So, so, so that there is that element where you, you, it, it is written to laugh at the, le- the lengths that these people will go to try to get sex, right? The, the women try, like I said in the, in the synopsis, they're, they fake pregnancy with like a brass bowl that Lysistrata like walks up to them and like taps <laughs> on the bowl to the resounding sound, the hollow sound of the bowl beneath. Um, the, the, the piteous state or the, 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 yeah, not the piteous, the pathetic state of Kinesius as he's like crawling up the steps towards Marine, trying to get her to have (laughs) sex with him, um, is, 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 is supposed to be laughed at, right? Like it's supposed to be this kind of, these are the length, like this it's the given circumstance of the world of this is the lengths that people are willing to go to for sex. Right. And, and, and so there's these lots of big jokes like the phallic symbols, like the moment where the husband is crawl begging, can't just keeps getting blown off one after another. And then there's small jokes, which I, I think to me, I laugh at more. There's a great line when the first of the Spartan men appears on stage as a, trying to get people to have this conversation. And of course, he's got this enormous phallus that is covered with his cloak, but it's pointing out and making very clear the state that he is in. And the question asked by the Athenian that greets him is, uh, are you, and in my translation at least, are you a man or a fertility symbol? Right. <laughs> and his response is like, man, don't talk about it. Yeah, like, dude, <laughs> this is not the time, brother. <laughs> And it it goes like it, it, the joke gets extended, right? Because the Athenian either pretends not to understand or truly doesn't really get it. Is that a, a spear under your cloak? Right. It's not a spear <laughs> under my cloak. Why are you walking so funny? Then you do you have a hernia? I don't have a hernia. <laughs> Listen, I'm just here to talk to. It. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over, over, and over in this play, there are, there are little scenes like that that are just like like it's just so chock full of them. Just kind of almost throwaway lines that as as you that that must like come at you in such a rush when you're watching it that you don't always get them. But I know like in reading them, like it would, it would I would I would hit them and kind of go past and be like, oh wait, that's what that was referring to. <laughs> And what's interesting about this play, and it's, again, one of those ways that Aristophanes is diverging from the old comic form, is the chorus relationship with the audience, too, right? I mean, if you'll remember when we talked about the birds, one of the features that I love so much about the birds is the chorus of birds trying to convince the judges to vote for this play or else this chorus of birds is going to like crap all over their clothing and, and whatever. So there's this relationship where the chorus speaks to the audience, speaks to the judges. And this plan, and actually Aristophanes and the birds was diverging from some format by having the characters play characters instead of speaking on behalf of the playwright. So he took that step in the birds. And then later on, he comes to Lysistrata and really just omits that feature entirely. I mean, in comparison with the weight that those scenes are given where the chorus direct addresses the audience in The Birds, they are notably absent from Lysistrata. Yeah, there seems to be a, a lot more just kind of individual conversations between people. Like the start of the play is individual conversation. You've got the the individual conversations with the, the like recurring character of Lampedo who shows up at the end of the play. These like kind of in more, more intensely personal recurring conversations that appear over and over again kind of leans a little bit more into it's 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 like closer to a realism almost closer to a kind of character development sort of thing yeah there there does seem to be like a, a more internally focused view of the world it almost plays more like a tragedy in its sense of the world being kind of closed off where the chorus has a relationship with the other characters in the play rather than so much with the audience i mean the birds in the birds the chorus of the birds talks to the audience just constantly and we saw in the tragedies that the chorus really talks to the tragic hero mostly or to messengers as they bring news on and that really is more of the chorus in Lysistrata and then of course there's the incredible feature where the chorus is talking to each other talking to debating with arguing with creating conflict with themselves and so the chorus Maybe that's one reason why Aristophanes moved a little bit away from this chorus audience relationship is that he has two choruses that can have a relationship with each other. Right, right. The 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 need to kind of connect with and and vamp off of audience participation or or something is not necessary or as necessary to tell the story. Um, the the yeah, with the possible exception of the kind of last scene of the chorus where they sum up the play, sure, um, yes. and and chorus out to to the audience. Um, but that that's that's more of a an epilogue than anything else. Most of the play is is a a fourth wall maintained sort of play. Right. And it, it, it in the same way of the birds, talking about a difference to the birds, in the same way to the birds, this play just is chalk full of references. I mean, yeah. references on references on references. It doesn't, it, to me, I guess, I don't know, I'm interested in your opinion, Jackson, but to me it didn't feel like 
it wasn't so overwhelming as it was in the birds, possibly because the comedy and the character relationships are a little bit more obvious in this play than they are in the birds. So you feel like you have something to latch onto outside of the references, but boy, howdy, they are there and they make it tough to do it. I mean, beyond just the sexual content, the other reason why Greek comedies aren't done that much is just that they rely so much on uh, knowledge of people and worlds and events. I mean, if you didn't know who Euripides was, there's probably, and uh, Euripides is one of the more obvious references, but there's probably five or six good jokes at Euripides' expense. Right. Yeah, definitely. And and the 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 uh while while the the references to uh individual places and specific things in this one are are, are few and far between, I think it is interesting the the trade-off um how how we've traded one hard to produce thing for another in this one like because it focuses <laughs> so much on the sexual comedy on physical comedy it's not as needed to have the kind of basically roast session that that the birds was where he just like took down four or five different prominent members of Athens <laughs> um, including yeah including fellow playwrights there there is still that in here there's i agree so that there's much, a couple yeah, yeah there there's 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 a, a number of historical references and also just like people reference that like the footnote is like this was a well-known thief who walked right the town yeah exactly like, right <laughs> <laughs> it's like what you, you do feel like in similar way to the birds you need to read the play with footnotes right and i guess when you see it you either cut up or you try to provide some context or you put footnotes in the program. I mean, it, it does make it difficult to produce. I think when we talked about the birds, we talked about it is this sort of uh, sort of like SNL where it's part wild imagination, right? I think we talked about lobster singing Le Mis and yeah. part very specific, very highly educated, very... Um, uh, I guess I'll just say specific again to emphasize it, very specific political social commentary that you, if you don't get that, you're missing something of the comedy. Right, right. And yet, and yet somehow catches all, right? Like if you don't catch it, you'll have a good time at the show. But if you're paying attention... <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna catch the critique that's in there, especially the critique, the the big critiques, the meta critiques of war, of of uh, this this sort of uh, uh, yeah state that Athens has found itself in. Yeah, and and whether or not you think Aristophanes is telling this story through a feminist lens when he wrote it, I think certainly there is commentary in there in in similar way to how the play is not entirely anti-war, but there is some really well-written, um, meaningful anti-war commentary, the play does not really have a through-and-through -through feminist lens, really at all. But there is some good, meaningful feminist commentary within it that, that does hold some, I think, some interesting, uh, some interesting drama nowadays. Interesting drama that that is 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 when framed within certain cultural moments. That's part of the beauty of Greek plays is they continue to be able to be framed in cultural moments. They continue to have themes that resonate. And and the the, the kind of sh shockingness of authors like Aristophanes who puts these sorts of availability to have these sorts of conversations that can last for centuries. 
Well, I think we need to wrap up this conversation and our themed month for season six. It's been uh, uh, a real pleasure to get to read four pieces, four very different pieces of ancient Greek dramatic literature, one right after the other. Like we said at the beginning, the ability to see them side by side, see how things have developed, what is the same, what is imagined differently, what are the different playwrights' voices is has been a real treat. Yeah, absolutely. Getting getting to hang out with these ancient plays, you don't get to talk about them all that much. <laughs> you don't get to even see them all that much, certainly not in this season. Um, has, has been a, a lot of fun. Good to kind of dust off our... our uh... <laughs> our uh, theory of theater brains and get get into the tragedies and comedies. Hopefully it's been a great time for you. We've really enjoyed having this conversation with each other and with all of you out there in podcast land. And it doesn't have to end. We can keep talking about these plays. Like we said, they're often produced. They're often uh, read or written papers on. So I um, know a bunch of you have run into these plays before, specifically Lysistrata. If you want to talk to someone who has read the play, we'd love to be those people. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. Also at the Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep getting to talk about this play with you. Absolutely. If you've liked this conversation, if you've liked our theme month, if you've liked other episodes, we'd really love it if you'd recommend the podcast to your friends and family. Send them to Podbean, where we're hosted, to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We're in all those places. For the less technologically savvy folks, you can find us easy if you've got a Facebook. Just like us on Facebook. Every Monday when the episodes are released, there's a link on Facebook. You can just click and listen. It's as simple as that. And uh, we're... I think we're ready to get back to a play that was written within like the past 50 years or so, right? (laughs) I mean, I think next week we're talking about a play and the playwright is still alive. Whoa. That is, that's a big leap. (laughs) We don't have to like dig through scrolls to figure out (laughs) which competition he won third place in. (laughs) We are glad to have done the theme month. We're ready for getting back to a a more diverse body of scripts. So uh, we're looking forward to it. Hope you are too. We will see you next time on No Script the Podcast. Until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Bye bye. See ya.